Welcome to the Kansas Reflector podcast. I'm editor Sherman Smith. On today's show, we'll hear from two special guests about the work they're doing. Wendy Doyle is the president and CEO of United We, which advances all women's economic and civic leadership to make meaningful change. And we also have Jen Earl, the CEO of the National Association of Women Business Owners. Thank you both for joining us. Thanks for having us. Let's just start by talking about the the organizations. If you can give me a, an overview, we'll start with you, Wendy. Thank you, Sherman. Um, United We, as you mentioned, working to advance all women's economic and civic leadership. And at our very core, we're an evidence-based, driven organization looking at the barriers for women to advance economically and for their civic participation. And after we investigate and do um, um, qualitative and quantitative research, then we, we start to work on a public policy agenda, just advocating for reducing some of those barriers ranging from um, pay equity, paid family and medical leave, certainly looking at women entrepreneurs. We know that there's a great interest here in the heartland and looking at what we can do in the occupational licensing space, including childcare too, is elevated to the very top as an economic issue in the state of Kansas. Such a, a wide range of important issues. Um, Jen, how about, how about the work that you guys do? Yeah, so Navo's been around for almost 50 years. We're celebrating our 50th anniversary in 2025. It was the first organization for women entrepreneurs that really put them on the map. Um, before Navo was around, there was no, women weren't allowed to join the Chamber of Commerce or anything like that. So the organization really just took on a life of its own to really support women entrepreneurs across the country. We have over 50 chapters, um, including a virtual chapter, um, and we really work on the social economic and political spheres of like trying to get women into power in those spaces. And we have three main pillars, advocacy, leadership, and education. And um, we focus on trying to make our women business owners resilient. And in that we focus on the four C's of entrepreneurship, um, capital, as it relates to access to capital and financial literacy, um, community, really creating a safe space for women business owners to share the different trials and tribulations that they're going through, as well as to celebrate their successes. Um, Congress for our advocacy work and making sure that our legislators are really hearing the work that our business owners are doing in their communities and what they really need to be successful. And the fifth one is fourth one is confidence, um, and really making sure that our business owners have the opportunities to um, serve in leadership positions, to to do public speaking, to get the education they need to really feel confident in taking their business to that next level. So you guys announced recently a partnership between these two organizations. Uh, NABO has the the national footprints. I know United We has a, a, a big impact in Kansas and Missouri. What's the the significance of this partnership, Wendy? So our partnership really brings together two strong nonpartisan women's organizations. Certainly, NABO has an, an, an extreme national footprint and a growing national footprint for United We. But together, we are focusing on public service and leadership. And our partnership is all about educating and empowering women to effectively serve their local communities. Um, we're really wanting to also for women to build their skills that will benefit and, and 
and giving back to their communities, but also to growing their businesses. Um, this is a one-year program that we're launching that includes some virtual programming focused on relevant policy topics, um, but also we have some podcasts that we're going to be doing too. We recently hosted and launched our first webinar together in early May, and we have a second one scheduled on August 10th at 11 a.m. Central Time. So to your audience, we invite them to join us to be a part um, you know, of the session on August 10th, which will focus on childcare-related challenges for women and specifically business owners, as well as the importance of paid family leave. And we do have a registration link that is open and can be found on at, on United We's website, which is united-we.org backslash events. I hope our, our listeners take you up on that invitation. Um, Jen, what, what do you think about this partnership? Uh, we, I mean, as Wendy shared, we're so like-minded in the work that we're doing. Um, this really, this opportunity really gives us um, the opportunity to expand our reach and to get women more educated in terms of like serving in their local, um, with their local elected officials and civic leadership. We're working on creating different um, kinds of opportunities for them to learn more about how to be better leaders in their local communities. And I think that with this partnership, we can make stronger business owners, which are going to make stronger economies. Um, and I think that that is the biggest thing, like how we can really move the needle forward in making our economies thrive and giving the women business owners the tools that they need to be a part of that um, major success. These are a lot of challenges that, that need to be tackled now. And I, I think we'll talk a little more about some of them in a, in a moment. But you know, I'm curious about how things maybe have changed over the years. I, you know, I've had conversations with, you know, my mom, who is, I think, maybe the only uh, woman who is an engineer building the Wolf Creek uh, nuclear power plant in Kansas 40 years ago. And the stories that she tells are are shocking about what the workplace environment was. Um, have, have you seen progress over your careers? Um, are, are we making a difference in, in the social climate? I'll jump in, um, Sherman, that, you know, I feel like um, women have made significant progress. However, the pandemic really highlighted and, you know, put a beacon on the challenges that women are facing, certainly in the workplace, um, you know, also with the childcare challenge as a result of the pandemic, but also giving women a time to um, reflect and to really think about, um, you know, what their role in the workforce looks like. And we certainly, as an organization at United, we heard that as we spent some time doing some town halls around the state of Kansas last summer, hearing from um, lots of women from um, all women from all backgrounds in metropolitan and rural communities, but really connecting back to our NABO partnership. We had a tremendous amount of women during the pandemic that really started to explore the potential of entrepreneurship. And that's another reason why we're, we really are proud to partner with NABO um, to bring some resources and really to those women specifically in Kansas that are thinking potentially about starting a new business. There's a tremendous resource with NABO um, that they could be a part. So we've definitely heard, you know, the pandemic um, moved some, positively moved some conversations forward, such as flexibility in the workplace, um, but still highlighted several several things that, um, you know, we, we've made progress, but we've fallen backwards as well. Thank you, indeed. Jen, did, did the pandemic have, have that kind of a, a application for you in the work that you did? Yeah, I mean, we actually, um, I know that it, it was a 
devastating time for everybody. And it was for us too, but it really gave Nabo the opportunity to shine during that time. I mean, we had chapter leaders across the country that were trying to run their businesses and run a nonprofit local organization. And that was just impossible for them to do with everything they had going on. So we were able to really switch the way that we were doing um, our work and create more opportunities for our members to connect um, in a virtual space. And we learned a lot. We started doing surveys early on to say, what is it that you guys need? What are you struggling with? Um, and the, what, what we were learning is really what's helping us kind of create our path moving forward. We learned that a number of our business owners weren't able to access the first round of PPP money. They didn't have a relationship with their financial institution. Oh my gosh. So, you know what I mean? Like there are things that we're learning along the way, like they're building their businesses and we knew a lot of the access to credit um, capital problems. You know, they were leveraging personal credit and things like that. But what we didn't know was part of the reason why was that they didn't have the right relationship. So when something happened like a catastrophe like COVID, they didn't have a place or a person to go to to say, hey, help me do this. How do I get this money? And it became overly burdensome. So we were able to start working with the legislators to say, hey, look, we're missing a huge part of the population here is missing this the, these funds. And what do we need to do to make that happen? So the second round that came about, we were able to create set-asides for smaller women business owners and that sort of thing. Um, and as Wendy alluded to as well, there were a number of new businesses that popped up, um, including women of color, um, and that was proportionally higher in what we saw. And so being able to create programs, we have a partnership with AARP, um, and currently we're going through our third rendition of this program because it was so successful. Um, it's called the Established and Ready to Grow program. And this is a virtual program with education and roundtables that allowed us to reach out to this demographic that was just getting started to say, let's get you started to be successful here. Let's give you the right tools and education that you need. Let's get you connected with other like-minded women that are doing the same thing in similar parts and in different parts of the country to really help propel you forward. And so that was, it was really an opportunity for us to look overall at the landscape of women business owners and say, what is really happening here and what resources and tools do we need to give to these different demographics and sectors so that we can make sure that they're um, successful. And Jen, have, have lawmakers been receptive to this message? Yes. In fact, we are getting, I mean, they come to us a lot of times first to say, hey, what do you think about this? And I think we're going to talk about it in a little bit about the paid leave. But like we've really been instrumental in like trying to say, this is what our business owners are going through. These are the things that they need. Um, and we've been getting now people are coming to us saying, what are you hearing? What do you need? Where are where it's a business owner in XYZ in a restaurant, perhaps in Los Angeles? Can you connect us with her so that we can hear from her? So there's been a lot of that kind of um, figuring out through our association how they can connect with other business owners and really listen and hear the needs of the women business owners to figure out what we need to do. Because the, everybody realizes, I mean, we, you know, we have like 80% of the purchasing power. The business owners are like making their community communities work with raising their children and, you know, figuring out how they're going to purchase all the things they need to do for their home life and taking care of their parents and, and running businesses as well. It, it's like the detriment of like women business owners not being able to run their businesses is really devastating to the economy. So, I mean, I think that they, they're aware of that. We don't want that to happen. So Sherman, just to build on that, one thing to just add, um, you know, we know that from business women business owners as well is that childcare is a challenge, especially if the women business owner has children themselves, but also for their workforce. So one thing that, you know, as a result of childcare really elevating to the very top of our policy and research agenda, we're investigating looking at every state's childcare facility licensing requirements for a couple of reasons. One, we've heard from providers that they're 
there, there are some barriers, um, specifically for those who have an interest in opening up a childcare facility. We also know this is, you know, a woman and women's entrepreneurship opportunity. We know that um, this is a women-led workforce and a women of color-led workforce as well. And really wanting to understand what we can do as an organization from an advocacy perspective to look at reducing those barriers so that we can get some childcare facilities or in-home um, support opening um, in childcare deserts specifically. And we know in rural parts of Kansas, um, there, are, there are a lot of childcare deserts. But just to add that to the conversation and build on, you know, as, as a result of the pandemic. You know, this was a, a big issue in the legislature this year in Kansas. And there was a bill that that would have, I think, dramatically loosened the barriers, but I think it, it wound up not not going through because it loosened it perhaps too much. I think it would allow people as young as 14 to to be looking after other kids. How do you like find a, a happy medium there where you can make it easier for, for more people to provide child care without making it dangerous for children? Yeah, I think, um, you know, there are still lots of, you know, interesting solutions that are surfacing. And again, keeping the safety and health at the forefront of making some of these decisions is certainly what I know our policymakers are keeping in mind and certainly um, Governor Kelly. Um, what we are seeing is really there is a need for public-private partnerships. So we're seeing in some states as a solution, philanthropy, corporate, um, and then government coming together to, to actually solve the childcare challenge. And I think for, for the listener, and as you know well, that this is a long game. This is um, you know a marathon that's going to take some, some time to put together a great strategy. Um, but what we are... Um, what we celebrate is that we created the conversation and that this has become an issue and on, on the tops of minds of policymakers in Kansas. So, um, you know, I would say stay tuned, but I know there, there are some interesting models that we're all looking at. And the, you mentioned the town halls that you conducted last year, and this was an issue that, that came up frequently, I, I think. I know I, I listened in on one of them and it was, there was a lot of talk about childcare um, and also, I think parental leave, the pay gap, how how significant are these barriers? Can you put that into perspective for us? Absolutely. So, you know, um, I think the key takeaway on the paid family leave that we really polled um, our town hall participants that um, this is a retention strategy and that more um, because this has become a topic of conversation, certainly during the pandemic, there was the federal mandate. So everyone had the opportunity to take advantage of it. Um, women in particular are wanting to have a paid family leave policy in the workplace. So we polled um, our participants and it was about 90% of the participants said that they have an interest in having a paid family leave policy. And that's um, essential to their re retaining employment. Um, pay equity certainly has continued to elevate in the conversation. And we know that in the state of Kansas, on average, it's about 78 cents to the dollar that men make for the same work. Um, and it's, you know, the gap widens even further in, in more rural parts of the state. So there are, there are, these are significant economic barriers to advancing women, um, not only in the workplace, but certainly that's also why so many women have been thinking about, you know, starting a new business. So the entrepreneurship um, aspect was a key component of those conversations in the town halls. 
I think that's a, a good segue to you, Jen. What, how does this manifest in the business world? Yeah, the paid leave conversation has been a really big one for us. Um, we are really hoping that Congress can pull together a bipartisan solution that gives um, our small businesses an opportunity to really create a paid leave system um, that they can use for themselves and for the work for their workforce. It's uh, it's become a big challenge. Well, it's always been a big challenge, but our smaller businesses can't compete with the larger businesses that are offering these great incentives. And if without, if a person has to leave for paid leave, there's no, there's nothing. They have to. There's nothing to do. They they have to. If they have to pay for it, that's obviously a gigantic burden. And then they, they're left with the gap of not having someone to be able to fill in the blanks. So it's really we really need a big solution for that. Um, we they, Our business owners just can't afford it. And there are some like I think in our surveys that we did, there were like one in four that said, yeah, we can definitely offer this. I think that they all would really love a solution to figure out how we do this because we can't be competitive. There's just no way. And we're already having gigantic workforce issues. We can't, our business owners are having a really hard time even finding people that are qualified to do the work. And so if it becomes an issue of like this company is going to give them the paid leave option and they can, it becomes a really big problem. So we're really working on trying to figure out what the best solution is for that. Um, the other thing too is like 92% of women business owners from our latest survey are micro businesses. And so we're really trying to work with the government to understand what a micro business is because right now they're lumped in with small business and a small business is up to 500 employees, which is very different than a business with under 10. And so those are very different when they say, yes, we're doing these things to help small business. That's the truth, but it's a small business that's a very large small business, not a micro business that, you know, is really trying to do whatever they can. They're working in their business. They are doing everything they can to hold on to their people and they're trying to be competitive. So we're really working with them to, and our chapters across the country to come up with a definition of a micro business, 25 or fewer employees and less than a million dollars in annual revenue um, to make sure that they're really looking at, when they're looking at solutions for small business owners, they're saying, okay, the micro business needs these things. They're going to need access to a different kind of set aside for, you know, being able to build capital. They're going to need different restriction requirements when it comes to like trying to get a federal contract. What does that look like? Are they able to do that? Because right now there's no competition there for them. They're, we're just kind of being swept under. So we're really trying to figure out like how to create more opportunities and really allow these micro businesses to live and succeed. I imagine that the overwhelming majority of businesses, especially in Kansas, have somewhat fewer than 500 employees. The, yeah. um, you know, one of the other things that struck me about this, these conversations, these town halls, the, the one that I listened to, is I, I heard over and over and over again from women who are frustrated with the lack of mentorship that they were receiving. Uh, either there, there weren't women in leadership positions that they could look to. Um, people just weren't willing to provide mentorship or over and over again, they would turn to somebody for mentorship. And if it was a man, he would misinterpret this as like some sort of, of advance. I'm just wondering, you know, how do you, how do you address this, this issue? And it's a, it has a lot of aspects to it, but how can you provide more mentorship, better mentorship opportunities for women? Yes, I think definitely in the workplace, Sherman, that, you know, it is that the pandemic really um, highlighted a lot of issues that men were concerned about. And they know that to retain their workforce, childcare was a significant issue. So I do think, you know, a positive outcome for both women and men in, in the C-suite and um, you know, the corporate sector in general, there is more empathy. So, you know, it's an, it's an interesting time now that we're having these conversations. And I think there is more openness to that mentorship, that allyship, 
But now more than ever, you know, to retain the workforce, whether it's you own your own business or it's a, in a corporate setting, there are so many issues in addition to childcare that families, men, both men and women are facing, for example, elder care is significant. So being able to take time off for aging family members and not worrying about your position. Um, so there is, you know, definitely, um, I think more empathy. I think the, con- the the timing is right to have more um, seeking more mentors and, and, and men in particular are being more, um, you know, empathetic and engaged with their employees. We certainly also see that, um, you know, we need men to step up and be role models too. So when they have birth or adoption of a child, that they're modeling that for the other employees and taking the time off that they deserve to be able to bond with their with their new child. Um, and we see that, you know, by investing in that, you have better outcomes for children in general. So it's just overall good for the economy. But I would say just to, you know, sum it up, that the pandemic really, you know, more positively has created a culture to have more, you know, honest conversations, but also that mentorship and allyship. And surely it is advantageous for businesses to to try to provide mentorship to their employees. Absolutely, for the retention, um, but also to, um, you know, mentor them into other leadership positions within the organization. We certainly saw during the pandemic that a lot of the middle managers, specifically women um, that were staying home from children, made the choice at that point to step out of the workforce and continue to spend time with their families. The fast track wasn't interesting for them. So their, their company, a lot of corporations now are rebuilding that pipeline for leadership in the organizations. And, um, you know, men are certainly part of that conversation to encourage women to participate and to, you know, stay in the workplace. How do we get more men interested in being part of the solution? You know, just with education, and I think it's, you know, one, um, you know, it starts with one and it really starts at the top. And so if we have our top leaders that are really engaged in, in the conversations and in supporting mentorship and allyship and just supporting women in general in the workplace, then you start to build, you build a culture, but it's, you know, one at a time and it's not a one size fits all for, for any organization or institution. So Jen, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I mean, I totally agree. I think for us, we've been, um, I mean, we've obviously had to work really hard, but we've been really lucky too, because when we first started as an association, it was just men that we were dealing with, right? And so we had champions that came alongside us that said, yeah, we believe in you and we understand the vitality that women business owners have and what you're doing in the communities and how that's making them stronger. And so we were, you know, we we, we always welcome um, our male counterparts. We have a supporting membership where they're able to join and become part of the organization to champion our women business owners. We have them join our national committees to work and give their insights. We believe that we're better together. Um, and I would say even with like our corporations, our corporate partners that come and sponsor and, and help us, um, they'll send their, you know, their their male employees. And we just, it's just a really great learning experience and collaboration. I think that the more, um, like kind of as Wendy said, the more people that get involved, the more men that are getting involved in the conversation are really understanding the importance of, you know, really creating a world that works for all of us together. Um, and I think that it's a good time. Um, it's a really good time for us to continue the forward movement of championing each other and really working together. So, Wendy, I know your organization tracked some legislation that was moving through the Kansas legislature this year. Did uh, did Kansas lawmakers do enough to help women? 
Well, I think we certainly created a conversation, but there's always more work to do, Sherman. Um, just, to, you know, a couple of updates. We were very active in supporting Kansas House Bill 2023 that really would create an office of entrepreneurship within the Department of Commerce. Unfortunately, that bill did not move forward and will likely be tabled until the next session. We also were active, you know, just creating some additional conversations around the child care space and um, we're supporting the Senate Bill 60 which would expand the use of actual campaign contributions for candidates running for elected office to allow to use some of those funds for childcare and other family caregiving services. It had bipartisan support, but unfortunately did not um, make it to the finish line and to the governor's desk. And then, um, yeah, so those were a couple of couple of things that we worked on. We've also been very active in the, um, the HEROES Act, which was creating a um, scholarship opportunity that's in the Kansas budget for any veteran or first responder that was injured in the line of duty and or lost their life. Their family members are eligible for, they themselves and or their family members are eligible for in-state college tuition reimbursement, which includes also books and room and board. And we were instrumental in, um, you know, launching that initiative and keeping that in the budget, but it was expanded this year to um, include an additional $700,000. So we're proud of that win and keeping that moving forward. So those are a couple of updates um, from our Kansas policy um, work. Before we go, I wanted to ask you about a piece of legislation that that was passed. It's known as the Women's Bill of Rights. Uh, I don't know that it actually establishes any rights. It's really about keeping transgender women out of uh, public restrooms, um, domestic violence shelters, other spaces. I'm just curious, because this was billed as a women's bill of rights, if you had a magic wand and controlled the legislature, what would your, your bill of rights for women look like? It would really look like, um, Sherman, all the things that Jen and I have talked about today, which would be, you know, child care, paid family leave, occupational licensing reform. Um, you know, certainly that paid family leave policy continues to be not only for entrepreneurs that we've talked about, small businesses, but also, you know, for the corporate setting too. And just a real economic driver for the state of Kansas. If I could wave a magic wand, it would definitely be that, but also, you know, making child care more affordable and accessible. Very good. Thank you both for, for joining me. Hopefully we can keep this conversation going. What was the uh, the reminder for our listeners, the podcast coming up, registration link? Um, it is united-we.org backslash events. And we hope everyone will join us in August. <laughs> Very good. Thank you, Wendy and Jen, for joining us. Thank you so much, Sherman. Wendy, so good to see you. You as well, Jen. Thank you. Thank you, Sherman. Thank you.